1: This show is brought to you by The
2: Makery, the podcast network for makers.
3: Welcome, one and all, to the Knife Talk podcast. Hosted by myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, Jeff Fader of Fader Knives, and Marekko Momassi of Momassi Fire Arts, we're here every Monday to talk about knives in general Lots of other stuff normally, but in general, we try to talk about knives. We do have a guest with us today, um, so if you've got any medical problems at all, you can call in to speak to the doctor. We've got <laughs> Dr. Lauren Thomas with us again, by back by popular demand, actually. We did a, um, when were you last on, Laren? Over, over a year ago, surely.
4: Yeah, right after knife engineering came out. Mm. Uh, how long's that? 18 months, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it we- became clear that that I should come back on. Uh, when I was listening to the episode a couple weeks ago, and uh, most of the episode was about how you guys wanted to buy Britney Spears' farts. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm like, you guys have really jumped the shark. I think
2: I think I can help out
4: here.
3: Okay, that's good. Come on, come on, <laughs> come on yeah, man.
2: We gotta, we gotta, we gotta go every week. We have to talk about something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> A
3: quick
1: sum up, guys. What you been up to, Morocco? Good week, bad week, out of ten? Good. Yeah, good week. I uh, I did my first. Uh, what is it? Artisans of Steels interview series yesterday with. Uh, or two days ago with will brigham we went for three hours which was a long time but we got a lot of good information and it was great to get to hear uh will's backstory because even though i've known him for a long time i hadn't really got into his backstory um and he talked a lot about forging stainless and you know solid state diffusion welding and all of this kind of sciencey side of forging in Damascus and Mokume and stuff, and it was good. Uh, outside of that, knife stuff has just been regular, forging some steel for an upcoming order, and that's basically it.
3: There we go.
2: Good week. Sounds like a good week. Jeffrey, good week, bad week? Uh, Ten. It was a good week. I was, you know, getting my boxes of jars so I can fart in them, and I'm get preparing for that, <laughs> a big week of that, and uh, everything's good. Lots of business, lots of work, lots of good stuff very very exciting I uh, finish up a few knives up and uh haul ass and it's cold out so it's good yeah do, do you feel like the holidays was just like a distant memory
3: now are you straight back into it as if that that's just gone or are you warming up still
2: for me it's I had like I had like a couple the first week the week after uh January was kind of like a st- a lot of just stopping and starting I don't, the, it's hard to kind of get good traction after the holidays for some reason mm. and i really try to go out of my way to haul ass right out of the shoot. and i for some reason there were a lot of like nonsensy things and stuff i had to take care of so it was a kind of a tough start out but uh it does feel like it was a long time ago yeah 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 it, it seems
3: like a distant memory to me already but uh, no it's it's been a good week it, it is its epically cold here at the moment it's ridiculous i'm here in the bones of the new kitchen freezing my nuts off it's it's super super cold um but yeah it's been a good week and um yeah the weather's getting better slowly slowly so you know hopefully spring's around the corner and that brings with it lots of new joy and happiness and um it's all good
2: and your birthday happy Uh, birthday uh, well thank you very much yeah you are only 27 once so yeah, 27
3: uh, once. 27 <laughs> once. So I thought I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to enjoy myself. So, yeah, 27. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. yeah. I, could, I could pass for 27 with, with this dog hair. <laughs> yeah, <head>. 27, 27 <laughs> fucking dog ears. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Uh, so, Dr. Lauren Thomas, back on the show after, as we said, 18 months at least. Um, we had mm-hmm. so many questions, like unanswered questions from last time, which we've sort of rolled over. And I know Jeff has been inundated with questions this week on Instagram as well um, for Laren. So I suppose we might as well get straight into it. Well, uh, we've left Laren out, actually. Laren, good week, bad week? Out of ten, what do you think? Hmm. It it was survivable. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where, whereabouts well, are you, by the way, in, in, in the U.S.?
2: I'm in Pittsburgh.
3: In Pittsburgh.
2: And if Have you, were you to put... Sorry, Roger. Go ahead. Sorry, no, please. I was jarring. No, just, I, I, no. I wouldn't know <laughs> where real. Pittsburgh
3: is. So, if I were to look at America and you put, would have would put a pin on the map where sort of south, west, mm-hmm. east, whereabouts.
4: Yeah, it's in the northeast. Um, it's in the state of Pennsylvania. It's in western Pennsylvania. Okay. Pennsylvania is one of the bigger states, so I imagine you could you could find that one. Yeah. So yeah. it it's uh, plenty cold here. So I mean I grew up in the Western U.S., so I was really looking forward to the Northeast where it wouldn't be hot in the summer, but I just traded ten degrees for much much more humidity. So it's hotter in the summer and colder in the winter. Right.
3: You it's very interesting
2: there. that you're in that you're in Pittsburgh because you know Pennsylvania has such a rich history of because you're a you're a PhD and you're a metallurgy. Pittsburgh has Pittsburgh and the surrounding area has such a rich history in metal ma- metal making in the mm-hmm. United States. So, do you find yourself in now with the with uh, the Center for Metal Arts is in Johnstown? I don't know how far that is from Pittsburgh, but it is you know this new mecca for forging steel and the, you know kind of reclaiming the idea, the artisanal ideas of you know metalworking and stuff like that. Do, are you finding yourself now that you're living in Pittsburgh to have more of a connection with that early? metalworking uh, phenomenon in the United States? Uh,
4: yeah, I definitely have. Uh, for one thing, I work for U.S. Steel Research, uh, which has been around forever. Uh, one of the earlier heads of the the research center was Edgar C. Bain, who Bainite was named after. Hmm. Uh, And and there's others, of course. Um, And in uh, Latrobe, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour away from me, um, that's where Vasco was. Um, It still is, sort of, but it's owned by, you know, a bigger metals company, and they don't really care about what Vasco was. So Vasco, they developed the steel's M4 uh, Vasco wear, which is now more commonly known as crew wear. They developed the steel that became 3 v so CPM three V is just an old Vasco steel called Vasco die that they then made a powder metallurgy version of and called it three V. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Vasco had a had a big effect on on our current knife steels. Uh, so I, I've thought about trying to do some kind of history series, like for YouTube or something, on the history of of steels for knives. Um, so I don't know exactly what to do because it's like, oh well, I can go visit this guy's grave but uh, it, it might be a, little, a <laughs> little creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't funny. know how to handle I mean, wh- one time I drove out to, because uh, Carpenter Steel, they're in Reading, Pennsylvania, but their main powder metallurgy facility is in the Pittsburgh area. So, I mean, I drove my whole family out there. I'm like, here it is. And, you know, I drive up to the gate, and there's like a security guy giving me the side eye, and I'm like, all right, well, this was it. You know, and then turn and around stag. and drive away. So. <laughs>
1: oh my god, <laughs> that's hilarious!
2: It's I, I just it, it just uh, your story is so incredible, and, and and obviously you know Pittsburgh, the Philadelphia area has such a huge. I mean, I'm actually, I have I have pieces of steel from Bethlehem Steel for, that came off the Tappan Zee Bridge, and I'm actually going to bring some down to uh, the Center for Middle Arts when I'm down there. And, and there is such this um, amazing history in terms of you know. The history of american steel in general Mm -hmm.
4: yeah bethlehem steel is is defunct now of course uh one of my professors that i had at colorado school of mines he was a research engineer at at bethlehem steel up until it it died um so yeah there's a lot of interesting history out there and even you know surrounding area like crucible steel is only a few hours away from me uh same thing with niagara who does most of the the hot rolling of crucible grades so yeah it's all around and it is cool when i was in nevada you know there was there was nothing for hundreds of miles
2: so last time we saw you you just released the book knife engineering steel heat treating geometry Mm -hmm. how has the reception been for you since since the release
4: uh it's been incredible i think it helped that i came on your guys podcast that gave it a, a a good kick early on but it has none continued. of our listeners
3: read none of them can read I can tell you, if there's pictures they'll be all over it but if it's just reading <laughs> it maybe be at the wrong audience
4: yeah, there, there are lots of pictures in the book don't worry uh, but yeah the, the book continues to sell uh, the Amazon reviews are really high uh, I don't know like 4.9 out of 5 or something uh, so you know, there's an occasional review where a guy says that it was it was too deep for him. But in general, <laughs> it's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> that is legit. That's not a book a problem. Dumb That's review. a him problem. Yeah, I'm too <laughs> dumb too, for this, this. book. is too That's smart what he's for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but we uh, got reviews ourselves
3: for the podcast.
4: <laughs> uh, those are the reviews that hurt the most, though, because I mean, the goal with the book is to educate, and you know, I want anyone to be able to read the book, not like, oh, well, you better get smart if you want to read my book. I'm like, if you want to learn, then come read my book and you will learn. I mean, that's what the promise should be. So I hope everyone can understand it. And most of the reviews say that, that, that they
2: liked it. So I'll that, focus on them. That dovetails into something very interesting. You have a YouTube channel called Knife Steel Nerds. <laughs> and I watched some of the videos... And I can tell that you're trying to deliver information kind of like Mary Poppins style with a, uh, with a spoonful of sugar. You did a video where you're doing the hot ones and you're eating hot chicken wings and getting questions asked to you. And the Mr. Rogers episode, I definitely feel like you're trying, to, you're going out of your way to being like, listen, we can all learn this stuff. It's not that sciencey.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, going to college is really hard, but most of what i know does not require a college degree to understand Mm. uh and the reason why i started doing youtube is just with articles it's really hard to inject much personality or humor into writing um i try to do it some i try to you know put in a wink and a nod here and there but even when you do the personality just isn't there Mm. in in written form and so i my hope in part with youtube was just you know let let's get a little more personality into this and make it a little more fun than I have b- uh, managed to do in writing um, and let people get to know me a little more and also just to do a different medium i mean you can learn from from reading, but that's one style and watching video is another way of consuming similar or sometimes different information, so it just broadens the the audience a little bit so i'm excited about youtube it 's really time consuming. <sighs> I can only imagine.
3: Yeah, they're fun. Those videos are fun. Um, I, yeah, I've seen the two that Jeff sent me this week, and yeah, they had me laughing. So yeah, so well done for that. You you mentioned then about you, you know college degrees and so on. So so what did you study? Was it? I know. I'm sure we we'll go into this later in the show about you know your father sort of being in the industry. So was it was it always uh-huh. a case of you were going to be in the industry? Did you study for that?
4: Well, uh, I kind of had a circuitous route. Um, cause I, I was smart in high school, but not like, uh, setting any records. I was not number one in my class. Mm-hmm. And so getting an engineering degree wasn't really at the forefront of my mind. And, uh, neither of my parents went to college. You know, my dad, he was a blacksmith. So I went to a year of junior college. My dad had some health problems and I worked for him for a year. Um, I was just sitting around in Panaca, Nevada, around nobody um, and just that gave me a lot of time to think about what I want to do and I'd been more and more interested since I was about 16 in in knives and steel and stuff uh, and during that year I'm like well why why can't I go and do that you know what what's stopping me like what's the worst that, that can happen I, I fail out after the first year and decide to do something else like yeah. well, you might as well chase what you want to do um and, uh, you know, when I put in the work and I put in the time, I could pass those classes with all those smart kids from the suburbs. And uh, then, you know, I'm getting through my bachelor's degree in materials engineering and I'm looking at my GPA and I'm like, hey, that's a pretty good GPA. I, I don't know how it turned out so good after those couple of C's I got. Um, but the other classes were good enough. So, you know, I started studying for my GRE. I went to grad school. I was going to get a master's degree. But I got a couple years in and like, well, why not get a Ph.D.? You know, I want to I want to develop new steels. And if you want a research job, you need at least a master's. But a Ph.D. is even better. So I just skipped the master's and went straight to Ph.D. And before you know it, I'm Dr. Laren Thomas. Wow.
2: Wow. (laughs) Look at you. Look at you.
3: Yes. Well, listen, we've got a a billion and one um, questions for you. So I think we might as well get straight into them. Um, The first one is from Kevin Cunningham. And that was via Instagram. Um, and he says, Knife Steel Nerd questions. Um, and he asks for the fastest, most efficient way to get 1084 or 15N20 billet nice and soft, ready for filing or drilling. And he asks, with and without a kiln or an oven.
4: Yeah, this one is surprisingly tough to answer. A guy was actually messaging me about this just the other day. So there's there's several different ways to anneal and I can't get super in-depth into all of them. Uh, but one is the traditional slow-cool method. So, you know, you heat up to right around non-magnetic and you slow-cool, either in your furnace or in a slow-cool media like vermiculite or something. Uh, there's a type of annealing called subcritical annealing, where you heat up below where it goes non-magnetic. So we'll say like 1,200 degrees and you hold for some amount of time. And then there's a temper anneal, which is sort of similar to, but before you do the 1,200-degree hold, you, you heat up to non-magnetic and quench, so you have martensite. And so it's sort of just like tempering really, really hot so that it gets really soft. Mm. Um, and the difficulty with annealing 15 and 20 is that the high nickel in 15 and 20 lowers the temperature at which it will transform. So when you're trying to do a slow, cool anneal... Uh, With a normal steel, you might start transforming around 1,300 degrees. Well, with 15 and 20, that won't happen until another 50 or 100 degrees lower. And the lower it starts transforming, the slower it happens. Because as you'd imagine, with higher temperature, things move faster. And so it can be really challenging to anneal 15 and 20. So a slow-cool anneal will work, but it's a little more persnickety, 15 and 20 is. So you might try a subcritical anneal or temper anneal, If you're not happy. But a slow cool anneal can be really quick, where normally with a temper anneal or subcritical anneal, you're talking on the order of hours. But a slow cool anneal, you can actually cool relatively quickly, like in the period of 30 minutes or an hour and a half soft steel.
1: Oh, wow. I want to jump in here actually really quick uh to clarify because i think what he's asking actually is the combination of 1084 and 15 and 20 in a damascus billet so say he's welded up a bar of damascus and he wants to cool it in the most efficient way so that it's ready to be cut back up and restacked and all that business um w- would you still use those same approaches like a slow anneal a slow cool anneal or what would you suggest
4: yeah, so on on the subject of ten eighty four and fifteen and twenty being in combination specifically, um the ten eighty four isn't annealed that differently from fifteen and twenty, it's just easier to anneal. Uh, so that's a good point. I was focusing on the fifteen and twenty because it is the tougher of the two to anneal. But okay. if your if your only goal is to cut it, then you know, it depends on, on how soft it needs to be for cutting. You know, if you're using an abrasive cutoff saw you don't really need to soften it at all, or at least not very much. So it it depends on your overall method. If you're using a bandsaw, you know, you probably got to get under 40 Rockwell to use it on the bandsaw. You might even be able to get away with just, uh, you know, you got a hot billet and you shove it into vermiculite and let it cool down for 30 minutes or an hour before pulling it out in air, and that might be enough. You know, it depends on your balance between efficiency and how soft you need to get it. If you need to do a full anneal or if you just need to do something a little uh, more quick and dirty. I see.
1: Yeah, because I find when I'm making my Damascus and I'm getting to the point where I want to do like a tiled mosaic, that's when I want to get on the bandsaw and I want it to cut really nice and evenly and clean. And if it's, if it's a little bit – I've had this happen where it's a little bit too hard, that bandsaw blade will start to drift off. Um, and I mm-hmm. And I'm always trying to cut with a sharp blade – Uh, or a fresh blade. Um, And so I I actually come across that issue myself. And so it sounds like that the vermiculite anneal should do the job to, to soften the steel sufficiently so that it can be cut on the bandsaw.
4: Cool. Yeah. So I do have a a YouTube video and article on, I titled it thermal cycling, but it covers normalizing and various methods of annealing. Um, in enough depth to understand all the mechanisms that are going on and i recommend specific temperatures for a range of steels sure um, so if you want to learn
2: more about annealing specifically i've got i've got a video about that for you to watch okay that actually uh, makes me want to ask a question that i'm going to change a little bit we had somebody one of the last people to submit said do you think at some point you're because this is a global now this is a global company, you know you're we can do business now all over the world and people are going to going to get information from you from across the you know planet. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, when's he going to start tr- uh, transferring, uh, doing, using metric, the metric system, because <laughs> there's a lot of, I get, I'm sure you hear this a lot, but apparently there's a lot of like sore people from countries that don't know inches and in, in Fahrenheit. And they're, they're, uh, they're waiting for you to make a conversion. Is that going to ever happen?
4: Yeah, this is maybe too much inside baseball, um, but at the when Knife Engineering first came out, it was primarily in Ferrite, but I used both Ferrite and Celsius, and I kind of alternated between them depending on what I was talking about because I use both of them, and so I don't really care about which one I'm using. Um, so after those early complaints, after just two or three months, um, I I put in conversions for every single number in the book, Now, for my website, I don't always do that because, you know, for an article, I write it in a week and I just I I don't want conversions all over every article. It looks really ugly. Um, But in the U.S., we're also in a weird spot. Like even for my job at U.S. Steel Research, I work primarily in Celsius just on my own. You know, like I'm in a... I'm going to heat treat the steel at this temperature. I work in Celsius. But then when it goes to our heat treating lines, even brand new ones, they all work in Fahrenheit. And so I have to convert everything to Fahrenheit and give it to them. Um, But American knife makers are 100% in Fahrenheit. There is no mixing whatsoever. My even heat runs in Fahrenheit. And I tend to think in Fahrenheit because a lot of tool steel literature is old and from the U.S. And it's in Fahrenheit. And mm. so, in the knife steel world, I usually think in Fahrenheit, and it's easiest for me to write that way. And I think conversions look ugly. But, you know, maybe I'll do some more converting. We'll see how I feel.
3: <laughs> or, if you've got an Even Heat, it'll do the converting for you. You can simply switch between <laughs> Fahrenheit and Celsius, and this is a good point to play this.
4: Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com.
3: Or go to Soul Ceramics. If you go to net forward slash heat, that'll divert you to Soul Ceramics. It'll automatically apply a $75 discount and give you free shipping in the States. So yeah, I'll put that link down in the, uh, in the description or wherever you may be listening to this too. But yeah, get yourself $75 off and free shipping in the States. And if you're not in the States, if you're in Canada, we get lots of messages from people in Canada saying, what about discounts for us? stick with us something later on in the show that was my canadian accent by the way that was good it's very close to your new york accent <laughs> most are most are yeah. for me i find <laughs>
1: Um, Mareko, would you like to take the next question? Yeah, this one is from Noah Vashon. He says, can I cool off blades coming out of a temper cycle under 400 degrees Fahrenheit uh, by dipping them in water? Or is that bad? I heard once that doing so can prevent the formation of bainite. Uh,
4: yes, you can. The preventing the formation of bainite, Noah cannot. So uh, bainite will form during a hold. So normally when we talk about bainite, it's called os-tempering. So instead of taking your hot steel and quenching in oil down to room temperature, you quench in either a high-temperature oil, like at 400, 500 degrees, or in a low-temperature salt, and you'll hold it there for like an hour to four hours or something. Uh, now, bainite can also form during tempering. So when you when you quench your steel and you form martensite, some of your austenite, which is your high-temperature phase, will remain untransformed, and we call it retained austenite. This is a pretty common term that you'll come across in knife making. That retained austenite can still transform later, uh, either under stress, like you're, you're deforming an edge of a knife or bending it back and forth. You may transform some of that retained austenite to martensite, which is now untempered and brittle. Um, the same thing can happen during tempering you can destabilize the retained austenite and while cooling to room temperature you'll form new martensite and it's untempered which is why we temper twice the other thing that can happen is the austenite decomposes to bainite directly during the hold and uh, quenching after wouldn't Change any of that because it already transformed to bainite during the hold at the temperature. Cooling fast after can't undo what was already done. Um, what the cooling will do is is affect how the martensite is forming. Just like if you're uh, air cooling or slow cooling a blade versus quenching rapidly, you know the faster you quench, the more quickly the steel will form martensite because it's just cooling down more rapidly. Um, usually, the amount of martensite that's forming is not enough to be such a big deal that you have to worry about things like cracking and warping, though that can be a minor concern. Uh, so, the only reason to quench in water, in my opinion, is just because uh, you're in a
2: hurry. If you're not in a hurry, then I would just air cool it. You're, ta- you're When you say quenching, for our listeners, the quenching is, you're talking about after, after a temperature.
4: Yeah. Yes. So, so there's...
2: So there's not a lot of benefit except for speed and you're, 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 you're the potential of you can you can warp it a little bit if you if you dump it in water. Yeah
4: there there are some minor chances of negatively affecting the steel. I wouldn't really worry about it, but I wouldn't cool rapidly after the
2: temper because you think that's helping. Okay. The next one comes from D. L knife hey guys here's a question for laren thomas as far as i've read in your book cpm 154 is similar to rwl 34 did uh did it ever make uh did ever make a direct comparison between the two steels is there ever has there ever been a direct comparison between the two steels thanks and regards from switzerland
4: Uh, Yeah, RWL34 and CPM154 have identical compositions produced by different companies. So RWL34 is sold by Damasteel, produced at Aerasteel, I believe. And CPM154 is, of course, a Crucible product, having the CPM branding. Uh, RWL34 came before CPM154, though 154CM... Uh, It came before both of them, and that was a Crucible product. So that's uh, some history that you didn't ask for. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thank you. uh, uh, Sorry, did you have a question?
2: I was going to go
4: into something, but go ahead. Uh, So as far as comparing them, I have not directly compared them, but I have compared other uh, powder metallurgy steels of identical composition from different companies because there's advertising from some of these companies, notably Bowler and UdaHome which have the same parent company, that they have a superior powder metallurgy process that leads to superior performance. Uh, So I compared uh, 20CV, 204P, M390, and LMAX to each other in terms of impurities in the steel and for toughness and microstructure, Uh, because part of the claim from Bowler Nudahome is that their powder is finer and therefore leads to a finer microstructure, and also cleaner, so there's fewer impurities in it, which includes things like oxides and sulfides, which are, are a negative thing in steel. It reduces toughness. So uh, I looked at the impurity levels in all of the steels, and I looked at the microstructure of all the steels, and I compared the toughness of all of the steels. Uh, so 204P is a carpenter product, 20CV is crucible product, M390 is bowler, and LMAX is Udahome. So LMAX is a little bit different than the other three uh, but you can still compare the impurity levels even though the toughness isn't directly comparable. So the impurity levels were superior in the Bowler product. Uh, Crucible was was number two and Carpenter was last. Uh, the Udohom LMAX was similar to, uh, to the Bowler product. Uh, for oxides, for sulfides, all of them were pretty similar. Um, LMAX was actually a little bit worse than the others, but that was probably just chance. Um, comparing the microstructures of them, there's no way in a blind test that any metallurgist could come up with the bowler product as being the finest one. They look extremely similar. Um, and that's because it's not really the size of the powder that's controlling the microstructure. It's more the processing afterward, at least for this particular steel, because the carbides will coarsen while they're at foraging temperature. And so there was no difference in microstructure. And in toughness, I could not measure a difference. Uh, So uh, in general, I wouldn't worry about which one you're getting. And I think some people are assuming based on the advertising that, oh, if I get RWL34 or M390, it's going to have double or 50% the toughness of this inferior product. Um, And when it comes down to actually testing them, I, I can't find a difference between them.
3: Hmm. You mentioned both hardness and toughness there, so we have a lot of listeners who maybe just been getting into this, and and I'd I consider myself in that in that group as well. Could you explain to those who don't have your book the difference between hardness and toughness, and how you test for both?
4: Okay, so hardness um, hardness has a bunch of definitions that I'll I'll give a and not a hundred percent accurate description so that it's easier to understand. Um, Hardness is a measure of strength, and strength is basically a resistance to permanently deforming. So uh, if you've got a a paperclip, you know, it's pretty easy to deform. You bend it a little bit, and it will stay bent and not return straight. If you had a knife steel that was fully hardened in a paperclip shape, you could bend it, uh, but when you let go, it's going to go back to the same shape because it resists permanent deformation. Uh, the reason why it would not resist bending much more is because that's controlled by a different property um, called E. So that's elastic deformation, and that's controlled by the iron-iron bonds and not affected by heat treatment. Um, it becomes easier to, ben- to bend after you start deforming the paper clip. Once it starts bending, then it's easy because it's deforming. So with our knife steel one, it would start to get pretty pretty difficult to keep bending it and so in with a knife this just means that your edge will resist deformation better so you know you won't when you're you're cutting something tough um dang i'm mixing my my terms with toughness (laughs) in this context now so you're 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 Cutting something difficult to cut, it's less likely to come up with a mushroom door or rolled edge at the end. So that that's the main the main case where hardness comes in. Though hardness will also affect your your wear resistance. So you can also lose sharpness to wear at your edge. It is like when you're going in, you know, sand or abrasive materials, it will abrade away your edge and higher hardness means higher wear resistance. Okay. So that was a convoluted explanation. So now on to toughness. <laughs> it was a good so analogy. Tough-
3: the paperclip is a good analogy of the springing back. I like that.
4: All right. I hope so. <laughs> and then uh, toughness is resistance to fracture. So uh, a piece of steel with low toughness will break easily under an impact. So if you think about a piece of steel in a vise and you're going to whack it with a hammer, a brittle piece of steel will snap very easily if we keep geometry equal. And a tough piece of steel will not fracture with the same amount of, of impact. So with uh, knife steels, we're, we're trying to find this, this, golden, this golden steel that has really high hardness and really high wear resistance and really high toughness. Unfortunately, uh, life is not so simple. And when you increase hardness and wear resistance, you're almost always decreasing your toughness. So there's a balance there. One thing powder metallurgy does is allow you to keep the microstructure fine, even when you're adding more elements. Um, so, you know, you add more elements like vanadium for higher wear resistance. And in a conventional steel, your vanadium carbide that's giving you the wear resistance, they get really big because they're in this giant ingot that solidifies very slowly and it grows these big carbides that aren't fully broken up and forging. But with powder metallurgy, they rapidly solidify the steel into a tiny powder, and the carbide stays small, so you can get a better balance of toughness and wear resistance in a powder metallurgy steel. Got you.
3: Okay, I've got a follow-up this- question to that. So um, s- would you prefer a, a smooth
4: or a crunchy peanut butter? <laughs> uh, smooth peanut butter would be my go. preference.
3: I- Oh, I'm going to pepper this show with just light questions, just to keep people on track, yeah. because we could be going down some rabbit holes here. So I'm just, just going uh, to pepper, uh, just pepper it with lightness,
2: churn some, <laughs> some farts. Exactly, I actually have a, exactly. I have a question. Talking about steels, you know, you just—I know you—you uh, you just released your new steel, Magna cut. Mm-hmm. Um, can we t- can you talk about how you came up with that? And it's very exciting because you know, I saw, I was talking to you beforehand. Uh, I know Montana knife company is releasing a whole set of knives using MagnaCut, And I think you were mentioning Spyderco is using, going to use MagniCut. Can you talk a little bit about MagniCut?
4: Yeah. So, you know, I got my PhD in metallurgy in large part because I was very interested in steel design. And, uh, one of the early things that got me really excited was the release of S30V, And uh, S30B was being marketed as a steel made just for knives, and I got to talk to the Crucible metallurgist who worked on it, and it was just really cool and exciting. I'm like, wow, maybe someday I can work on something like that. Um, And so, you know, I became a professional metallurgist, and I understand the process of designing steels, and I've got some cool tools to work with to uh, model certain behavior of steels. Uh, but when I'm plugging in different things into my, my modeling tools and trying to figure out, I'm like, I just don't see a way to improve on these current products that we already have. You know, S30V is pretty well balanced. They did a pretty good job with that, but there's this old tension between carbon steel and stainless steel. And there's these different camps and they're trying to promote one versus the other. And, uh, a lot of that comes down to bladesmiths versus stock removal guys. And back in the day, it's all like simple carbon steels like 1095 and 52100 versus uh, pretty pretty coarse stainless steels with much different properties like 440C and 154CM. So you can almost see why there's a debate there just because they're so different. But when it comes to tool steels, there there are certain products like CPM Crew and CPM 4V and CPM M4 They've got really high levels of both wear resistance and toughness that the stainless knife seals are really not matching. So if you want the the wear resistance levels of a CPM M4, you've got to have half the toughness or even less to have the stainless version. And uh, so it, it, it's frustrating when you've got to accept these trade-offs in the knife world. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking at this like, how can we make a stainless, get the properties of these super sweet, powder metallurgy tool steels that have this really high toughness and wear resistance at the same time and the the key difference is that the s30b's and m390's and lmax's all have a whole bunch of chromium carbide in it and uh, even though the powder metallurgy process keeps the carbide small like i was saying earlier with the m390 comparison the carbides will grow during the forging process, and there's not really much they can do to prevent that from happening. And so those chromium carbides get bigger than the the vanadium carbides, and they really drop the toughness. And they're also softer than the vanadium carbide. And so you have to add a lot more of the chromium carbide to get the same level of wear resistance. And those carbides are brittle and reduce toughness. Uh, So all of that to say... I I tried to figure out how to design a stainless steel that eliminates chromium carbide from the microstructure so that we only have vanadium carbides and niobium carbides, which is how they get such good properties in the CPM 4V, for example. So I I played around with some ideas and I, I realized that one of the big innovations that was made by Crucible in the 90s is that they dropped the chromium content of stainless steels. So before we had 440C with like 17% chromium and same thing with S60V and LMAX and M390. Those are all like uh, 80s era steels. In the 90s, Crucible looked at reducing the chromium content and that reduced the amount of chromium carbide and improved overall properties. And so I uh, said, why can't we just reduce the chromium even further? Um, And then if you balance that with the carbon content, you still get high hardness while avoiding the chromium carbide. So this is a pretty technical explanation, but in the end, I had to go to Crucible and convince them that I knew what I was doing and that the composition would do what I'm saying it is, and that they would have a true competitive advantage um, making this new steel. And uh, you know, they they grilled me and and asked me a bunch of questions to see if I knew what I was talking about. I passed the test and e- eventually. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's not easy when when you're talking to the metallurgist that's been there for thirty years and you're like, hi, I'm Larry and I've been working in the industry for five years and I've got a really good idea. Um, (laughs) You know, he's like, all right, whippersnapper, what do you know about this? You know, and you know, from New York
2: too. (laughs) It's not (laughs) a New York thing. It's whippersnapper. Come on, man. The (laughs) accent, the accent does. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, So they're grilling you.
4: They are from they are from New York. Yes, that is true. Oh, I, I could tell. I could tell. Yeah. Not not New York City though. No, don't don't get confused. <laughs>
3: okay, I, I, I'm not that accurate. Okay. I, I can, I can.
4: So I'm they made
2: steel over here.
4: Yeah they, they made the steel and uh, we tested it and guess what I know what I'm doing and I did exactly what I said it was going to do and uh, it's got a better toughness wear resistance balance than any other available powder metallurgy stainless. And uh, the big surprise actually was that the corrosion resistance was much higher than I predicted. So I was wrong in one area, and that's that the corrosion resistance was a lot better than I said it was going to be. Ugh. Um, and so, <laughs> Spiderco has has announced that they're going to make one of their salt line knives in MagnaCut, which surprised me because I said that the steel was just a small notch below. That kind of corrosion resistance. I said it can handle some limited exposure to salt water, but I wouldn't leave it in salt water. But Spyderco says that they they tested it and they're like this did just as good as our our other salt line steels, and so we're going to put it in a, a salt line, which is what they recommend for salt water
2: um, type knives. So that was one happy surprise. And you had said I watched one video where you were talking about the the, the how you came up with the name MagnaCut. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we mentioned
4: Vasco earlier, and uh, they had a bunch of high speed steels with cut in the name because machining is also a cutting operation, even though cutting with a knife is is a very different kind of thing. And uh, so they they had one steel in particular called Hypercut, which was the first seventy Rockwell C um, tool steel ever made. It was another one of their innovations, and I'm like, man, HyperCut—that's a sweet name. Awesome. And so I'm telling Crucible, like, we got to call this thing HyperCut. HyperCut's the name, and they're like, eh, we're talking to the lawyers, and that that name's not going to fly. Like, it it's been it's been trademarked a, a hundred times, and we're not going to get around those. So I had to go to the drawing board and put every word I could think of in front of Cut, um, and we came up with Magna. Which is just a Latin word meaning meaning like great or, or awesome or something. So, uh, yeah, MagnaCut. So it's a it's a nod to to Vasco, which again was a very influential company, which I try to take inspiration from. Um, Cut, of course, because it's a, a knife steel, and we got MagnaCut. Where can you get MagnaCut? Uh, you can get it at a few different places. Ultimately, it comes from Crucible through Niagara. So Niagara is the the they the hot roll and kneel the steel and do distribution. But they will distribute to smaller suppliers, um, which includes SB Specialty Metals, uh, Pops Knife Supply, Alpha Knife Supply. So they can get you individual bars. Um, Niagara did initially sell a bunch of bars on their website, um, but they were overwhelmed and they told me they're never doing that again. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, uh, Alpha Knife Supply, they, they seem to be feeding it out piecemeal. Like they'll, they'll surface grind uh, a round of bars and then put them on the website. So check there.
2: Uh, but I know Pops and SP still have some. And last question that everyone's going to want to know is what's the proper recipe for heat treating MagnaCut?
4: Yeah, I've got, uh, on my website, there's one main article for CPM Magnica, and I go through all of the different experiments I did, like on toughness and edge retention and corrosion resistance, to come up with the recommended heat treatment. The general recipe for someone who doesn't know what they're doing, um, or knows what they're doing, uh, and doesn't want to modify, is 2050 Fahrenheit, there you go Celsius fans, Uh, for for 20 minutes, you plate quench, do cryo or your freezer, whatever your coldest treatment available is, and temper at 350. So that that's the, the foolproof heat treatment. If you want to go harder, you can look at the data sheet and uh, go higher in austenitizing temperature and get, get some more hardness.
1: Right. I have go. a question about stainlessness, because I feel like in my, my experience trying to learn and understand metallurgy around just knives and stuff it seems like a lot of people agree that uh, for a uh, steel to be considered a stainless it has to have 12 percent carbon by weight uh or sorry uh chromium by weight but i'm um, the magna cut, you're i mean you were talking it's it's has great uh stain resistance characteristics but it's chromium content is I, i'm looking on your website it says 10.7 so how is it mm-hmm. that 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 is performing so well even though it has much lower chromium content like you were ta- discussing earlier uh is something else taking up or, or i guess creating a freedom of availability for that chromium to do its job or and how does that vary versus other steels with higher like some of these have like 17% uh chromium content
4: yeah yeah, again, there's, like, five different things I need to say, and I'm going to forget three of them. Okay. Uh, but uh, with a conventional low-carbon stainless, like they just use in frying pans and, you know, just uh, long walls or whatever, those those are all really low-carbon. And so basically all of the chromium in the steel is freely available in solution uh, so that at the surface it can form a continuous chromium oxide layer. So sorry, real quick. Which is what quick. prevents rust.
1: So when mm-hmm. you say they're free in solution, you mean they're not tied up in carbides with with the uh, yes. with the carbon? Okay.
4: Yes, exactly. So when when the chrome when there's carbon in the steel, it will want to form chromium carbides. Uh, you know, especially when you've got eighteen percent chromium in there. There's just so much of it. If there's any carbon, it's going to want to form chromium carbides as opposed to like an iron carbide, because there's so much chromium that it will want to form carbides more than the iron if we uh explain things in terms of what steel wants which of course is it's not uh we're anthropomorphizing it but you, you get it <laughs> yes with uh knife steels they might also have high chromium like those low carbon steels like 17 18% but they have a bunch of carbon in there and not all of the chromium will be in solution it'll be tied up in a carbide and if the chromium has formed with carbon to make a bond it can no longer form with oxygen to form the oxide on the surface. And so that chromium is not available to contribute to corrosion resistance. So even though you look at the steel and it's 17%, you're like, wow, this has good corrosion resistance, not like that crappy Magna Cut. Um, you'll find that it actually has only between 9 and 12% chromium in solution. And most knife steels have less than 12% chromium in solution. So if that is our... Are cut off line, most of these knife seals aren't even qualifying. Sure. Or at least many of them are not. Like, CPM-154, for example, is like 9.5%, 10%, maybe. Oh, wow. Uh XHP and ZDP-189, I actually do not consider to be stainless because their chromium in solution is so low. Oh, ZDP-189 is a good example. It's got 20% chromium, and uh, it, it rusts easier than many tool steels. It's less stain-resistant than D2 um, in tests that I've done. Um, So that's one complicating factor. Um, Another is that chromium carbides themselves are deleterious to corrosion resistance. Uh, The presence of those carbides, even discounting how much chromium is in solution, will mean easier corrosion. So MagnaCut, when Mm. properly heat-treated, has no chromium carbide present, and that gives it better corrosion resistance for its level of chromium in solution. Um, another reason is that molly will strengthen your chromium oxide layer. So MagnaCut has 2% moly in it, which helps boost its corrosion resistance for the amount of chromium it has. And uh, the other thing that I knew I was going to forget to say was, give me a second, it's going to come to me, uh, the twelve percent cutoff is a is a, a meaningless number. It's just I gotcha. one somebody chose. There's no cutoff. Like more chromium gives you better corrosion resistance, less gives you worse, and any cutoff point is arbitrary. And if you look at different uh, resources, some will say twelve, some will say eleven, and some will say ten and a half. And uh, okay. MagnaCut, so there's no
3: in, there's no sort of international standard to what you consider to be a stainless. No,
4: no, there well, isn't. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of 410 stainless out there, which has 11 or 11.5% chromium in it, for example. And that is sold as stainless, and nobody argues against that. And so if you're using 12 as your magic number, then those steels aren't even qualifying, even though they would have very good corrosion resistance. So uh, MagnaCut has over 10.5. And uh, one more random thing to mention is that uh, MagnaCut has eight percent carbide in it, so even though it's ten point seven percent chromium, uh, only uh, only ninety two percent of the steel is steel, and the remaining eight percent is carbide. And so, when when all of the ten point seven percent is within the ninety two percent of the steel, it actually has eleven percent chromium in solution, not ten point seven. So, if, if that made any sense.
1: Yes,
3: <laughs> I, I, I guess it's we shall be back with more. So, sorry, Marika, we'll be back with more questions in just a second.
4: Huh?
0: Combat abrasives makes the world's best abrasive
4: belts for knife makers available in any size at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at combat dot com and get 15 percent off with promo code knifetalk15. Do it now. Do it now.
3: Sorry, as we were.
1: Yeah, no, and I think part of the reason I wanted to ask this question is because Laren and I have messaged back and forth a little bit um, a while back. Ooh! Ooh yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess I, I was one of those people because of my lack of understanding of chromium and, and stainlessness. Um, I thought the more chromium, the better. But thinking about it as what chromium is free to act as a stainless agent versus what's tied up in carbide is, is I guess a better way to think of things because even though it like you were just saying, even though it has a, maybe it has a ton of cr- uh, chromium in it. If a lot of that is tied up in carbides, it's not doing its job to make that steel more stain resistance. And like you said, I didn't I which I didn't even know is that when there is more chrome carbide in the uh, present in the material, it actually is causing it's rusting. And, and, uh, yeah, those kind of issues.
4: Yeah, unfortunately, you can't just look at the composition and say, like, okay, sure. this one's going to have high corrosion resistance and this one's going to be bad, you know, just looking at the chromium content. So, you know, you have to do actual, uh, corrosion testing to see what's going to do better than what. And that can also be affected by your surface finish and how you heat treated it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I-, I wish there was an easy way. I do have knife steel ratings. Um, on my website, so you can see what I think based on my, my testing and modeling of steels that I can't test um, for a corrosion resistance rating, and, and that, that's freely available both in, in my book and, and on the website, and in that Mr. Rogers video that we <laughs> mentioned, that's a knife steel ratings video. Shall we cool. get back to some more questions? Shall we? Um, Nali Knife
3: Co. Um, again on instagram as asked i'd like to know um your opinion on the best steels for forge only heat treating
4: yeah so i i also have a video on heat treating steel in a forge because i'd actually never done it until just a few months ago it's not my preferred way of heat treating steel i am an engineer and metallurgist if i have the choice I would rather have a controlled furnace so that I can heat treat exactly the same way every single time. Um, um, which so,
3: brand would you use? Just, just, just as a query.
4: Uh, uh, Doctor Laren S. Thomas, comma PhD, professional research metallurgist, would use an Even Heat brand furnace, of course. <laughs> you were, last time you were on the show,
2: you were you were angling for an Even Heat, and now here we are.
4: Now no, I, I had one. I was just still sucking up. So I I, I oh. paid them money for my even. <laughs> oh,
2: place. look at you. Real scientist. I was surprised in that video at how optimistic you were in terms of people's success heat treating out of a forge.
4: Yeah, well, I, I was worried that I would go into it and I would heat treat it and half of the steel would turn out garbage. And, you know, I'd either have to say, well, you know, maybe you can do better than me or maybe this isn't a good method for beginners because I'm a beginner and I screwed up half of them. You know what I mean? So, uh, But what I was most worried about was steels with a little bit of alloy in it, like 52100. It's got 1.5% chromium, and that makes things a little more sluggish. And so a lot of what I was doing in the video was explaining how we can manipulate the steel to set it up so that it is very easy to heat treat it in a forge and when I successfully did that with 01 that gave me a lot of optimism and I can't really go into it that much in this podcast but basically I made the overall structure finer so that if I heated it up to non-magnetic and quenched that it's good to go because where a lot of knife makers get themselves into trouble is that the general recommendation is heat to non-magnetic and then go another shade hotter and that another shade hotter is where all of the problems arise because you end up three or four or five shades hotter And it's now ruined. Or a common one is like, well, I quenched it, and now I'm checking it with a file, and this thing's dead soft. Um, What in the world did I do? Um, So I explain a very simple method for getting the microstructure set up so that you can heat to non-magnetic, and right where it goes non-magnetic, you can quench from there, and it is ready to go after tempering. Um, So, yeah, even 52100 works that way. Um, But uh, speaking of the best steel, I have another new steel coming called Apex Ultra. And I have been developing it along with a couple of European knife makers named Tobias Hangler, or Tobias, because he's European, and uh, Marco Gudiman. And that is supposed to be coming in the next few months. Hopefully, we stay on track for that. Um, We did a 50-pound test melt of the steel, and the properties turned out really good. Uh, So... It's sort of a combination of 52100 and Blue Super. So it's got enhanced um, wear resistance, you know, even higher than, than Blue Super. Um, and it's got those beneficial properties of 52100, like fine microstructure and really good toughness. 52100 is, is the toughest of the simple high-carbon steels, uh, much tougher than like 1095 or 01. And so it matches that good toughness, good potential hardness, and high wear resistance, while still being forgeable um, and heat treatable out of a forge. So that's the plug for the as of yet unavailable steel Apex Ultra.
1: And I'm sorry, I'm you said that's going, that you... A... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be. a... that's
3: going to be. Sorry, Morocco, go on. There's a slight delay here, so it's a little bit awkward. But uh, sure. after you, go on. After you. Sorry,
1: uh, you said that that's a carbon, or is that another stainless?
4: It is not a stainless. It's a low-alloy steel.
1: Okay. Okay.
3: I, I'm interested in the fact that you are sort of making these steels. You're coming up with the, the ingredients, and you, you put them all together. Um, can you just put anything you like out there, or does this now need to go to another third party to be tested and sort of verified, or is it or is it just like Wild West out there? Can you just do what the hell you like and and start selling
4: it? Well, uh, every knife steel company does their own internal testing and then releases the data that they want to release to you and uh, they th- they may not even test it very thoroughly themselves. I mean, you look at some of these data sheets and there's almost nothing on there. You know, like, here's how to heat treat it. How tough is it? I don't know. You know, how wear resistant is it? I guess you'll find out when you test it. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, there, there's not like some standard, and even within the companies. If you compare data sheets for toughness, they are not comparable. So you'll look at Udahome numbers and it'll say that we used unnotched IZOD toughness testing with a 7 by 10 millimeter cross section. You look at Carpenter and it'll say we did unnotched Sharpie with a 10 by 10 millimeter cross section. And then you look at Crucible and it says we did a C C-notch Sharpie with a 10 by 10 millimeter cross section. And none of those numbers can be compared to each other. They they cannot. There's no conversion formula. They cannot be compared, uh, and there's multiple different wear resistance tests. None of those can be compared to each other. And so that was one of the big things that I started doing with knife steel nerds, and with the help of a couple of knife makers also, is I did, you know, one type of toughness test, and I I have compared. A lot of the different knife steels that are out there and I did a whole bunch of Catra edge retention testing with a whole bunch of the steels that are out there um, and corrosion resistance testing with one corrosion resistance test so before knife steel nerds that information really was not available at all so you know is there a third party source I want to send to for testing not really um, because the biggest database of steels to compare to was already generated by myself and a couple other people Uh, So that's what I want to compare to now that, you know, there may be some bias in there, you know, like I maybe people might question my my results because I am the developer of Apex Ultra or MagnaCut. Uh, But, you know, a a third party source wouldn't wouldn't change anything. I I can send the samples out for someone else to Sharpie test, but the results going to be the
2: same. Yeah get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts that stamps.com code program yeah
3: so so other companies may maybe sort of massage the figures a bit um and you know selectively choose their stats for marketing purposes i suppose
4: I won't do any direct accusations, but, you know, there there's not, <laughs> there, there's, you know, there there's the research metallurgists who, like myself, just want the data and they want to present things accurately. And then there's a marketing team who have their own purposes, you know, their own goals in mind. Um, and there's some arguing between those two groups, you know, like, no, we can't say that about this deal. That's not exactly true you know and at at the same time marketing's like well we don't have to put that piece of information in the data sheet because even though the data sheet looks like this impartial document the data sheet also serves as a marketing document if you look at the top paragraph of these things it will tell you why you want to use this product it's an advertising document uh so yeah just because it, it's a fancy looking data sheet doesn't mean it's this impartial engineering document okay
3: so i can take an old horseshoe Straighten it up and call it True
2: Sharp 2000, for example And uh, Right, okay, I've got it There's That's a fine. good name <laughs> The new event <laughs> okay as, It's not as good as, <laughs> The naming of, of True Sharp Isn't as good as Laren's names <laughs> Laren's got some high-level names it's 2000, though True Sharp 2000
3: oh, That makes yeah, fu- though. Futuristic, you know oh, Okay,
2: okay
3: Okay <laughs> Okay um, Who wants to take the next one? I'll take the, the next, next one The next one comes oh, from go ahead.
1: Oh, go ahead You go ahead all right, you go ahead. Okay, I'll go ahead. Uh first of all, I want to give a shout out to Triple B handmade, by the way, who does a lot of work with you, Laren, right? Uh he he's, he's Yeah, a we super are buds
4: guy. and he, he ground all of the uh Catra knives that I, I tested. That was over fifty blades yeah, that, that we tested. So yeah, he's he's been a, a, a big part of Knife Steel Nerds.
1: Oh yeah. All right. This next one is from Cotillier uh I, th- I don't know if I said that right. Dot D. Uh, hi, this is for Laren. I would love to have your thoughts on the so-called spicy white 26C3. Is it worth the change from 1095 to 26C3 for 26C3 uh, for kitchen knives? Thanks.
4: Uh, well, 26C3 is not that pricey. It's regularly available from a few suppliers. Um I did an article on how to heat treat 2063 that I did along with Alpha Knife Supply, who was one of the suppliers. Um, so we tested the toughness with a range of different tempering temperatures, and uh, it was pretty simple. We just austenitized it from 1475. There you go again, Celsius fans. That was in Fahrenheit, and uh, <laughs> then we, we, and that was just from the. Uh, you know, from the as-received condition, and we tested the toughness, and it was better than the the 1095 that I had tested. Now, maybe a certain supplier of 1095, you know, might do a better job and have higher toughness 1095. Uh, But that is one nice thing about buying brand name steel. You know, 1095 can come from anywhere. um, And if you don't know the ultimate producer of the steel, you know, a knife steel supplier isn't making steel. They're buying steel and reselling it to you. Um, So 2063 is a specific brand from a specific company, Udahome, and it's going to be similar every time. Uh, So that's one benefit. The steel is also very clean. So a lot of those things that they advertise about white steel um, from Japan is that it has high purity levels. So low uh, impurities like phosphorus, sulfur, and oxygen. And 2063 also has very good purity levels. And it's got a little more carbide in it for a little more kick than than 1095. Um, and it's got a little bit of brand recognition in the custom kitchen knife market. So if you're if you're interested in it, then go for it. I mean, it's not that that pricey. So. Nice, got a good. It, name
1: it, too. It, it,
2: it, it's no Apex Ultra, but I mean, I mean <laughs> your names your names are good. Spicy White's a good name too. And Apex Ultra is pretty fucking good. MagnaCut, mm-hmm. unbelievable.
3: Okay, I've got a question for the, for the three of you, um, and then I'll, I'll give you time to answer, well, to think about the answer while I cut to a sponsor. Um, so this is a temperature-based question. What is the temperature when it's twice as cold as zero degrees? And whilst you think about that, I'm going to tell you about the sandpaper that we all use, the best sandpaper out there. I mean, it's not all grinding, making knives, unfortunately. We'd need to do a lot of handwork, and we all use the best stuff. Uh, which is Rhino Wet by Indasa USA. Um, best stuff. It's, it's going to save you time. It's going to save you money. Um, but also, if you go to com, they stock it, and you can get 10% off by using Knife Talk 10. And whilst you're there, go take a look at the other stuff that they have. They've got lots of stuff for knife makers, so go take a look. texasfarrowsupply.com. Um, obviously, they're in the States, but if you're in Canada, keep listening, because we can also get you some... Some of that rhino wet down in Canada, too, so keep listening. Okay, guys. The temperature when it's twice as cold as zero degrees. Marekko, what do you think?
1: I don't even understand the question, so I don't have an answer. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's zero degrees, okay? It's, it's it, Celsius, so it's freezing. Zero degrees is freezing in Celsius. If it's twice as cold as that, what temperature are we looking at? I got nothing. I can't think of that right now. <laughs> I, I, by the way, I don't know the answer.
2: Oh well, then for Christ's sakes! I mean, it's, it's like, just like it sounds like I some mean, weird riddle. Contemplate, something to was, contemplate while we talk oh, about our sponsors. That's oh, all. Come on. Oh, okay. So this is—I was going to say negative sixty-four, but I mean, maybe I'm not thinking it correctly. That would be Fahrenheit, then I assume. I mean...
3: I I don't fucking know. What the... Laron, would would you have an insight into how we could even answer this question?
4: Yeah, so first step, of course, is to convert to the true temperature scale of Fahrenheit... Oh, you're so going you to get us in some trouble. He's going to get us in
2: some trouble. Out too. <laughs> I, the, number one, number two is when the guy wrote to us about Fahrenheit, he referred to it as like you, you fucking something or something and you and your freedom height. So you he wanted <laughs> to like call it freedom height. So you might as well keep calling it freedom height. I really want to get mad because they are going to get mad at us no matter what. And I'm going to have to deal with these DMs. So, Laren, you know, keep going. I, what? Are you,
4: so we go twice as cold, uh, so we divide by two, and we got 16 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the answer. Don't need to convert back to Celsius, because we're already in the true temperature measurement of Fahrenheit. <laughs> Look
3: at there you. There we go. Look at you. True temp 2000 is the official scale for temperatures. Okay. Um, the next question is from Paul Charbonneau. Um, a question for Lauren. Um, from what I understand, the reason for wrapping a stainless steel blade while performing a heat treatment is to avoid excess uh, scale build-up. But if you still intend to do a majority of grinding post-heat treat, can you skip this step? Uh, love the show. Thanks as always, uh, Paul.
4: Yeah, the, the problem is... blades. Yeah, with, with stainless steels and tool steels where you're at 1850 Fahrenheit mm-hmm. plus, I'll convert for you, that's 1000 degrees Celsius. Uh, the the decarb really happens faster than you would like and it's not just the scale that forms on it it's really the decarburized layer underneath the scale that's going to give you issues so scale and decarb are not the same thing scale is the the black scaly stuff on top that you can grind away pretty easily usually and underneath that you will have something that looks like plain old steel like it should be able to harden just fine but it will not it has no carbon in it And so if you look at a cross-section with a microscope after you etch it, um, you'll see that uh, you've know you got your normal microstructure full of carbides or perlite or martensite up to a certain point, and then you'll get to clean ferrite, which is carbon-free microstructure in the steel, just like iron. It's like you got a layer of iron on the surface, and uh, it will not harden. And so you got to grind all that away, and you don't always know how much is going to be there based on how long you had to soak it for and what the steel is and what the temperature was. Uh, so save yourself a lot of heartache and buy some of that foil. Don't be
1: cheap. I got to follow-up. Cool. Is, is okay. there something you would advise uh, putting in um, with the knife into, like, a foil packet to help reduce oxygen inside of the packet? Or you, do you just wrap it up and call it good?
4: I just wrap it up. So what the foil does is the foil is reactive and it's thin. And so it heats up and reacts with oxygen before the steel in the packet does. So you've got your knife in there. And as you heat up the, the foil packet, the foil oxidizes and gets rid of oxygen in the packet. And so when people say that they're putting a piece of paper in there to burn out the oxygen, I'm like, then why why are you even using this stainless foil? Let the stainless foil do the job. When you burn paper in there, you're getting paper on everything. Um uh, I have heard people argue that you want baby powder uh, to prevent sticking. And I have had occasional sticking. Not Let's near stick th- to knives. Let's stick to knives, please, Larry. Very funny. Excellent <laughs> joke. That's why I'm laughing so loud.
3: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday night here for me. Come on. light nap.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've never used baby powder. I've only had sticking when I go really high temperature for, for a really long time. Like I'm doing an odd heat treatment for a specific reason for a knife steel nerds thing like I'm simulating foraging by heating to 2100 for an hour or something then I might get a little bit of sticking I don't know why people have such trouble with sticking so you can try baby powder if that's an issue for you that's a common recommendation Mm -hmm. I've never tried it
1: I I, when I've done envelopes in the past they always seem to poof up a bit and does that mean maybe there's something inside or on the surface of the steel that might be combusting that's causing it to pillow, like fill up like a little pillow, um, through the heat treating process.
4: Yeah, I don't know exactly why the poofing can happen. That's also something that I haven't seen near as much as some people have complained about. So I don't know what the difference is. Sure. Uh, but I wouldn't worry about it as long as it comes out. Um, you know, usually I get a little bit of rainbow on the steel, which isn't a big deal. If it comes out dark gray, then there is probably a puncture in your, your packet, which can be difficult because, you know, you're sticking a, a pointy knife into a packet, and it's, it's easy to, to catch it on the foil. So be careful of that. You And sometimes you'll even find a, a dark gray area right at the tip, like where you poked the bag. So that, that's the main danger with foil.
1: Well, if you put, like, a tip guard of cardboard or something like that at the end, at the knife,
4: so another thing to stick in the, uh, in yeah, the packet.
2: <laughs> if you put it in, if you put the knife in uh, heel first, mm-hmm. you, you'll probably, and then you, the point last, you might not pu- puncture as easily. Okay. That's what I do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Put it in backwards. The next question comes from Pig Iron Forge. Hey, guys. Question for Dr. Thomas. Why does his heat treat recipe for 5200 use fast fast quench oil when seemingly every other source says slow oil like Parks AAA?
4: No, they're trying to start a a battle between me and the the other people giving recommendations on the Internet. Uh, So I have a whole video on oils. It's one of my more controversial episodes. Um, people were very angry that I said I was not a fan of canola oil. Uh, but I, I can say a couple of things about this. One is that the, there's a lot of people that are recommending like, oh, these steels are for this oil. These steels are for this oil. These were things that were made up by knife makers. If you look at data sheets from metallurgists, it says quench in oil. That's what it says. It gives no recommendations on speed or anything Mm. because it's going to be cross-section dependent and, uh, you know, austenitizing temperature dependent. Um, You might want it to only harden on the surface versus all the way through. They don't make those specific recommendations. Those are things that knife makers came up with. Uh, Another is that Parks 50 is a fast oil and AAA is a medium fast oil. They are not that different from each other. Um, there are medium or slow oils, and AAA is not that. It's still pretty fast. so you're you're like trying to make these dividing lines between things that just are fundamentally similar. Uh, another thing to state is that fifty two one hundred is considered to be a water slash oil steel depending on the cross section and the context of the heat treatment. And so that was part of why, I set 50 to 100 as kind of the high end of my fast oil recommendation. Uh, Another important point is that people are often making this recommendation and saying, oh, if you use Parks 50 on the wrong steel, then you're going to ruin it. Like it's going to have half the toughness or something. Um, And that is not the case. So I've done Parks 50 heat treating on 01, which is a really high hardenability steel, and uh compared that with a slower oil and there was no difference in toughness so if your concern is that you're going to ruin it by using parks 50 instead of parks AAA, then do not worry um and we did our toughness testing on 52100 where we got excellent toughness by using a parks 50 quench so i see no reason to fear parks 50 with 52100 AAA, yeah will we'll probably work as long as you don't have a, a crazy thick knife
2: Wow. Nice. Look
1: at you. Cool. Well, that kind of answers at, our, we you. got another question, just a couple down that says, do I re from Felipe knives? Uh, he says, do I really need four types of o- uh, oil for different steels? Or can I get away with just one or two? And it sounds like, it sounds like you can do that. Or uh, 50 or was it parks? 50 can cover a pretty wide range.
4: Yeah. Yeah. If you buy one oil, get parks, 50, if you add a second oil, then get a medium oil of some kind. Um, hmm. Like a Quench Fast is pretty easy to get. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the one name. that they call a fast oil from McMaster Car. So that's another one you can get. But yeah, a fast oil can do everything. A medium oil cannot do everything. So I'd always say start with the fast one. The reason to use a slower oil is just it can reduce your chance of warping. Um, so if it can be cooled slower, sometimes there are benefits to doing that. But as long as you're not experiencing bad warping, there's you know, the Parks 50 is going to be fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: Okay, PC-1221. Um, I'm not sure if he's really a policeman, but um, PC-1221 says, question for the show, MagnaCut sounds brilliant, but when will it likely become available here in the UK? Um, he says, thanks, that's Pete. Yeah, Do you la- know if there's any any retailers in, in the UK selling MagnaCut?
4: Last I heard, there were not any yet... Um and from what I was hearing, it was going to be going to Europe and the UK uh, when there was more availability. That initial popularity was very high, and so they were they were filling orders in the U.S. market before going to Europe. So I don't know when that's going to happen. It might be possible to import from one of those suppliers that I mentioned. Um, so I know that Niagara has done some orders that were, were large enough to europe but yeah i mean we're still in the the early rollout stage and i'm not in charge of all of those things so i, I definitely can't give any specific dates so i have a i
2: have a personal question because you kind of create but on it. it relax just relax <laughs> junior because you created uh magnicut You not that kind of doctor <laughs> <laughs> would you calm down jesus christ <laughs> Jesus I was going to say because you created MagnaCut do you get a piece of the back end or did you work something out or
4: so uh, you know there are a range of different ways I could have attempted to sell MagnaCut one is that I could try to to get it produced myself uh, meaning I contact the steel company and I say I want this to be my product made by you will you make it um, and then I just pay all of that out of pocket. I get it shipped to my house or a, a separate warehouse, and I'm shipping this out of my house. Uh, that is not the route that I took. Um, I went to Crucible in Niagara and said, I want this to be a Crucible Niagara product marketed just like any other CPM steel. Um, and then I negotiated a royalty agreement for sales of the the steel. And so nice. they, they found that to be... Uh, you know a good idea so if this deal is successful then we all make money if it's a failure then uh, i don't make any money so
3: yeah but they handle distribution and all that kind of stuff
4: yeah and i don't want to handle all of that i am not a sales person (laughs) yeah i do enough customer service as it is um i don't need that to be my explicit job i'm already a research metallurgist and i'd I'd like that to stay my my main job
2: yeah, it you, it looks okay. like it looks like you're going to be some Hollywood Laren pretty soon. <laughs> the Magni cut. Come up with some better names, and it's going to be like the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Laren Thomas. Okay, canoes. This is the moment you've all
3: been waiting for. It's, first of all, can I just say, is, is that offensive to Canadians? Canukes? I don't That's think, it's, call can,
2: I don't it's, think it's called. I don't think it's called canoes. I've never Canucks. even heard of canoes. <laughs>
3: Canooks. I'll call them canoes now. <laughs> all those canoes from Canada, right? <laughs> Um, we've had lots and lots of people asking if we can get discounts uh, for you guys. Well, now you can. If you go to Maritime Knife Supply, um, and you buy... I mean, they, they stock... They're a reseller of combat belts, combat braces. If you buy 10 packs from them, you're going to get 10% off. Um, and obviously, they ship through throughout Canada, Canada. Um, so, you know, there's no extra, you know, extra charges and all the rest of it there. But they sell all sorts of stuff. It's the one-stop shop for knife makers. Um, steel, belts, handle materials, they do it all. So yeah, MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Go follow them on Instagram as well and I'm sure they'll be putting deals up there for you guys as well. And I'll make sure I put that link down in the uh, in the
2: description as well for you. Nice. There you go, Canucks. Go crazy. <laughs> he's your first He's your first ad read for the Canukes, <laughs> for the Canukes of Canada. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Where, Where were we? We were at, Nick, we Edwards. Were
1: at t- Nick Edwards. Should I take it? Please. If it. if I wanted to make uh, sorry, so this is from Nick Edwards. If I wanted to make sand mai with stainless 316 or 304 because that's what I can get, what would you recommend for high carbon core? Uh, thank you very much. Happy New Year to you all, Nick. So...
4: One of the big problems yeah. with laminating stainless on a, a low alloy steel core is that the steels do not change size in the same way during the heat treatment process. So uh, let's say we've got 52100 with no my sides. You are heating it up. And as steel gets hotter, it gets bigger. You may not notice this by the naked eye, but if you had some some fine calipers, you would see that the steel, in fact, becomes larger as it becomes hotter. Then it transforms to austenite. That's when it becomes non-magnetic. Austenite is a denser phase than the low temperature martensite or ferrite. And so the steel then shrinks. Then you quench the steel. While it's cooling down, it is shrinking because it's getting colder. And then when it transforms to martensite at low temperature, it grows because martensite is bigger, it's less dense. So there's all of these size changes happening. In your austenitic steel, it will not be forming martensite during the quench. And so your core steel ends up growing and stretching on those uh, sanmai sides. And that is why part of why it can be very easy to split a sanmai blade during quenching uh, even more so when you then go into cryo to form even more martensite. You'll build up enough stress that you'll get splits. And uh, so those austenitic stainlesses, 316, 304, whatever it was mentioned, they don't form martensite at all during quenching and they may be bad choices. You might be able to get away with it. The other issue is they're also dead soft. Um, so there's a lot of my blades out there with very soft stainless steels and uh, they'll scratch very easily, uh, which can be more annoying to some people than others. Um, and then if you want to choose a stainless steel with more carbon in it so that it forms Martensite and hopefully is more compatible, you run into other issues because, you know, like if you're using 440C, for example, you want to austenitize that at like 1875, and that's just way hotter than you want to go for 50 to 100 or 1095 or 01. It'd be too hot. And so you wouldn't really be... It, it wouldn't be changing size at the same rate because it would have so much less carbon in solution for the right temperature of the core steel. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's, I think this is an area where there's not a lot of information out there. Um, and I can't even share everything I know because my dad has experimented a lot with these steels and I can't share his proprietary information. Uh, but, yeah, getting a stainless steel that can be austenitized at a low temperature for your core steel um, while also not splitting is a challenge, so it, it's not easy
3: hmm. Okay. Um, where are we?
4: Griffith Handmade Knives,
3: a question for Laren um, You can use fast quench oil on steels with high hardenability, yet some knife makers still go with slow. ATCRV2 is one of those steels that splits the community on what oil to, on what oil to use, um, and he says, can you clear
2: this up for us? Kind of already did
4: yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think this ties that, in a lot with the previous question. I, I, yeah. I don't need to say too much specifically about R 2 It's in a similar range to 52 100 in terms of hardenability.
3: Okay. okay, that'll do. Okay, I'll go straight to the next one then. Tim Fisher. Um, hey, guys, I'd love to ask Dr. Laren how precise I need to be when heat treating and how much small differences will affect my results. For example, if the directions say to austenitize um, a stainless at 1037 Celsius, but I hit 1030 or 1036 or
4: 1040, how much will the uh, results vary? Yeah, so if we stick with that example and don't generalize, um, any process or furnace is going to have some variation within it. Uh, so you know, if you're putting a steel in the furnace and, uh, you know, you had it set for 1037 Celsius. You open the door, it drops down to 1010 Celsius. You put in the knife and it uh, overshoots up to 1047 and comes back down to 1032, and, you know, it's going to fluctuate. And nothing in life is perfect. Uh, So usually, you know, plus or minus, we'll say, 10 degrees Celsius is probably acceptable. Um, This is one area where sometimes people also misunderstand... Um, They'll go to outside heat treaters because they think their furnaces are so much better, so much more precise than the home furnace. Mm. Uh, But you have to remember that those furnaces are really big. And the bigger something is, the harder it is to have it be a perfect temperature distribution. So if your knife ends up in the cold corner of the furnace, it's going to be a little colder than the rest. And this may or may not be acceptable depending on the variation. But don't assume just because you've sent it out to a fancy heat treater, that they're dead nuts at 1037 Celsius, plus or minus 0.1 degree or something. It's not going to be. Uh, And your home furnace is probably going to be good enough. So my preferred method is to preheat the furnace for at least 30 minutes, get it very equalized, because when I put temperature probes in my furnace... You open the door and, like, wow, the front of the furnace is now so much colder. It must be so uneven in there. But when you shut the door, it actually returns very close to what it equalized to, even with these pretty small home furnaces, at least with the high-quality even heat furnace that I use. So, Of course.
2: That actually brings me to an interesting question. A lot of our listeners... batch heat treat so do you think that there's a problem with uh, well what is your experience with uh, like heat treating you know so let's say five knives in the same in the, at the same time in regards to the first knife versus the last
4: yeah that's an excellent question maybe something that I could explore for like a YouTube video or something because it's not one that I have really sought a solution for or tried to measure what the the issues would be um, you know, I've definitely seen some furnaces that were way loaded up where I'm starting to question whether, you know, the heat treatment is going to be any good. Uh, four or five knives, you can probably do a decent job. Um, you know, the, it's going to be dropping some in temperature and going back up. Uh, though, if we consider that it's going to stay hot enough, you know, while it's in there, it's more about the extended time that it spends in the furnace, and mm. usually. Um, you'd only really be in trouble if you're trying to get away with a very short austenitize. Like you say, oh, I, I need to hold this 1095 for 3 minutes and uh, you know, that's just not going to work. You're, the first one you take out versus the last one at you know, 10 minutes long is going to be considerably different and you're not going to be consistent enough. If you held it for 10 or 15 minutes you've reached kind of a steady state where it'll change slowly with further time, but not that much. So, you know, the difference between 15 and 20 minutes is much smaller than between 2 and 7 minutes, for example. Right, yeah. That's and so just make sure you're not afraid of austenitizing uh, time. Some knife makers are. You know, like uh, when I did my CATRA study, I listed austenitizing 50 to 100 for 50, 15 minutes. And some a couple knife makers were like, you have no idea how to heat treat. How could you possibly hold the steel for so long? Uh, But if your temperature is right, there's a pretty wide window uh, before you're really holding it too long, just because it's not going to change that quickly. You're not getting a whole bunch of grain growth as long as you're at the right temperature.
2: That's a new video coming out soon,
1: right?
4: <laughs> yeah, I've got a list of 100 ideas, and I'm not going to do most of them, but I'll <laughs> add it on that list. All right. Well, geez. Boy, <laughs> we're,
1: we're getting a little long in time, and I have a question that I want to get to you before uh, we run out of time for the show. Um, so, right. sorry, listeners. I'm going to get a little selfish here. Um, so, this is regarding the iron-carbon phase diagram, which is a very mm-hmm. general reference, and... When you start adding alloying elements um, of any kind, like chromium and vanadium, that changes that phase diagram, um, and the numbers that are generally used, like austenite oh, start, is at uh, like thirteen twenty five or thirteen thirty. Like all and 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 if it's a a, a hypereutectoid steel, then the ACM uh, like f- goes up and down and changes with cr- like chromium content or other kind of alloying contents is there a place where there's kind of a, just like a basic like data listing and um, where people can see like what is the actual um, you know a one a two a three ACM when is what's the melting point of various steels um, because when I look at data sheets regarding heat treat um, th- they mostly just focus around how to how to, like where to heat treat from and harden it just to get it like a good hardened product and, and temper it and whatnot. But I'm, I'm, I want to know like where those actual numbers are and maybe those that haven't been tested or is there a way to, for those things to be modeled? And I feel like I asked you like four or five questions in one. So sorry about that.
4: Yeah, this is a good question. Um, I usually don't use a phase diagram explicitly for determining heat treating temperatures. Uh, for a couple of reasons, one is that the phase diagram is at equilibrium, meaning if you held the steel for an extremely long period of time, this is what the transformation temperature would be. So when it's giving a transformation temperature of like you know thirteen thirty Fahrenheit or whatever, they they measured that by putting it in a furnace and heated at 0.01 degrees celsius per second there you go celsius guys uh, to find that so they you know they it at some really slow rate that you will not be doing you know right. like i said I, I i like preheating my furnace and putting it in and uh, holding it for several minutes and it's not going to be anywhere near that diagram and and so those temperatures they they have some utility you can use them but That is not the temperature you're going to get when you transform. Sometimes you'll find diagrams that have an overlay on them, which will have, instead of A1, it will list AC1 or AR1 or both. And Mm -hmm. AC1 is the temperature that you get when you're heating up. Right. And even when you heat at that extremely slow rate, it will still be higher than A1. There will still be an offset. And so a lot of times when they're making those diagrams, they ramp super slow and find their AC1, the transformation on heating, then cool super slow and find AR1, and A1 just basically becomes a temperature in the middle. You know, you you average both of them and got A1. So sometimes you can find diagrams that have AC1 and AR1, but even then, those are going to be temperatures for extremely slow heating or cooling and may not be directly applicable to choosing your temperature for annealing or austenitizing. Right. And so, you know, this is why we have the data sheets that will say, okay, you know, based on all of our experimentation, we think the best austenitizing temperature for fifty two 100 is 1550 Fahrenheit or, you know, whatever the temperature is. And and that's based on how much carbide they wanted left over, how much carbon they wanted in solution, etc All of those things balancing together to find out what a reasonable practical temperature is uh, on the subject of alloy, alloy does shift positions of things on that phase diagram. So for example, there is a specific point on the diagram called the eutectoid, which is about 0.77% carbon, and it is is the point beyond which you can have carbide in the steel after austenitizing. That doesn't make too much sense. So if you have 1040 steel, you'll heat it up Uh, to full austenite, and there's no carbide left, so no extra wear resistance. If you've got 1095, you can heat it up to a point where you've got austenite and carbide, and when you quench out, then you'll have some carbide left in there for wear resistance, and that's beyond the eutectoid carbon content. Uh, If you add 1.5% chromium, that eutectoid number will be shifted down to about 0.6% carbon. That is the case with 52100. And uh, this matters because the amount of carbon in solution for 52100 is a little bit lower than the other steels, which is part of why you austenitize 52100 a little hotter than a 1095. Um, it's also part of why 52100 can be tougher, because you have a little more control over the carbon in solution. Uh, extra carbon in solution will give you extra hardness, but it will also drop your toughness. And those really low alloy steels like 1095 and 01 you're often dancing on the edge of where you start to get drops in toughness, and it can be very difficult to avoid them. Uh, so that was a bit of a rambling answer, um, but did that help at all, Mareko?
1: Yeah, and I guess my last part of that question was just like, is there a database um, that has has those numbers tracked for particular steels, like what the ACM line or what the A1 is, and what Martin site Martin site start and all those different kind of like transformation points, um, kind of occur for various. Yeah, theories. there
4: there is no no mega database there. You know, you can look at data sheets, look at multiple data sheets, see if they have some of those listed. A lot of them are missing. Um, in knife engineering, I've got recommendations for specific temperatures for uh, normalizing, annealing, uh, okay. for austenitizing. I base that on experiments and uh, modeling of phase diagrams where they're not available in the literature. So in general, you can trust those those temperatures. So, you know, if if you're looking for a recipe, all of those are available in knife engineering. If you want to get in deep with the metallurgy, then you know there, there's a lot of steps you got to take, and I can't make much of a general recommendation to sure. the average knife
2: maker. Right. You know, when I get deep into metallurgy, I I often use my Broadbeck Ironworks two x seventy two grinder. Did you know about that? Smooth. Do you know? About, do you know about that? Broadbeck Ironworks sells a two by seventy-two grinder. They're a knife company made of knife makers making grinders for other knife makers so or other metal workers or whatever. So get yourself that Broadbeck Ironworks uh, 2x72 grinder or their attachments. Their attachments are great and they're very versatile for other chassis of other of other grinders. You go to broadbeckironworks.com, put in promo code KNIFETALK, you're going to get the upgrade to the Moreco Deep Platin, which is definitely worth it. And uh, once again, thanks again, Broadbeck, for your support.
4: Oh, I should mention one thing. I said AC1 is on heating, AR1 is on cooling. Why wouldn't you make the C for cooling? It's because those terms come from French. And, of course, the French make everything worse. It's
1: oh. <laughs> <Jeez>. true. <laughs>
4: Very <laughs> true.
3: <laughs> oh, boy. Oh shot bet by. they love Celsius the there, too. Yeah. (laughs) Whilst whilst we're on this, um, I want to tell you about um, a a stainless Damascus, um, which we've all used, which we all love. Um, and they make some of the most beautiful, beautiful patterns. So if you got yourself a new broadback, get yourself some new steel to play with as well and make something beautiful. Um, and that's obviously Dharma Steel. If you go to DharmaSteel.se, and set up an account there, when you use Knife Talk, you'll get 10% off your order too. So there's some big savings to be made. So go take a look at their beautiful, beautiful steels. Okay. Um, shall we take one more and call it a day? Jeff, do you want to do you want to scoot through and find find a a, a juicy
2: question for well, us? Let me find a juicy question. Uh, I, I, the pressure of having one question is 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 very very uh, intense. Um, okay, this one comes from all right, Fleetwood Knives. Fleetwood Knives this is a nice long one. Uh, Hey, guys, thanks for the awesome podcast, and the more I listen, the more I love it. And thanks to Dr. Laren for his book on knife engineering. Uh, It's a wonderful, comprehensive resource, just in case the question gets to you in time. I have three questions regarding treating AEBL. I read that AEBL can be plate or oil quenched, um, but must be brought and held at a temperature in stainless steel foil. Would it be cool? Would it cool quick enough if you quenched it in the foil? Uh, can it be austenitized without the foil and then clean ground? The next part is, also when plane quenching AEBL blades, does grinding the bevels before the quenching lead to a soft edge because of the lack of contact with the plates? And three, I haven't been able to find much uh, normalizing slash annealing ABE, AEBL. Is that only necessary when forging, or should flat stock removal knives also undergo that part of the process? And what would that recipe be like? Thank you much. Thank you so much for your advice. Okay. Lots, lots, lots there.
4: All right, I've got them written down so I don't forget uh plate or oil quench can you cool quick enough with foil so almost any stainless knife steel if you look at the data sheet it will usually say quench in air or oil so oil is always on the table just like i said a a slow oil steel can be cooled more quickly uh so an oil quench sometimes can give you a small bump in in hardness uh just because it's a faster quench uh so, cooling while in foil, in oil. It it may work. Now, the foil will act as an insulator because there's going to be air in between the, the knife and the, the foil, most likely. Uh, I have done this where I quenched in water with the foil still on because if, if there's already an insulator, then why are we going to limit ourselves with oil? Um, but quench plates are pretty easy to get these days, so I, I would... I would get plates if it were me. Plates are nice just because it's it's faster than, than air, so you can get a little bump in hardness. Cooling too slowly can also be a little bit detrimental to toughness. Uh, and the plate quenching also helps to keep the knife flat. So there's a lot of good reasons to use uh, the plate quench. Now, grinding bevels or not before a plate quench... Yeah, this is one I haven't explored too much. I have heard that on very thin knives, it can be so extreme that you get deformation on near the edge of of your bevels when you pre-grind. It also gives you less surface area. Um, I have heard anecdotally a couple knife makers tell me that when they lift off the plates in the middle of a quench, they see a hot bevel with cool, uh, and it's black where uh, the flats were. And so that does worry me if that's an accurate statement. Um, ABL is not that wear resistant, so grinding post heat treatment isn't that big a deal usually with ABL, but I, I understand different people have their different methods. Uh, normalizing and annealing. Uh, no stainless or high alloy tool steel do you normalize? It is not an operation that you can do with a stainless steel. You can heat it up to 1600 and air cool, but the operation you are performing is not a normalize. And I can't I can't get that get into that in a in a short way, really. But uh, one obvious reason is just that it's an air hardening steel. So when you air cool it, you're hardening it, not normalizing it. Uh, and annealing. Uh, yes, annealing is for people that are forging it. The steel comes annealed from the steel manufacturer. Uh, the only reason to anneal it is that ABL uh, is reported to have a lot of warping issues, and sometimes doing a stress relief or even a full anneal can, can help with that. Um, so yeah, I haven't seen specific instructions on annealing ABL from the manufacturer, but if you follow a pretty standard stainless anneal, it will, it will anneal it just fine. So look at uh, like the 154CM data sheet under the annealing section. It will have two different annealing procedures on there and either one will anneal AEBL just fine if you are forging it or you want to try and anneal before the final heat treatment. Make sure you put it in some foil if you're going to anneal because even though the, it's not a super high temperature process, it is pretty long and you can get significant decarb. There you go. So It's really hard answering these questions without pictures. I'm used to including pictures in my articles and videos. It helps a lot.
2: Well, would you ever too. consider yeah. for knife engineering to do an audio companion? <laughs> <like> uh, a- <laughs>
4: I mean, I thought about it, but, I mean, like I just said, it's so much easier to show things with pictures. It, uh, I, I'm, I just can't imagine that you'd learn as much. So you'd have to you'd have to somehow make the information work specifically for audio and yeah. i haven't and easy thought of...
3: easy to find again which it was, which is awkward obviously with a book you can reference certain bits again but with audio trying to scrub through to find the bit you want could be a bit, a
4: bit so i mean i i've dabbled with the idea of trying to do some kind of audio series or podcast of some kind i don't do it because i don't want to dedicate the time to it but also because i don't i just don't think it's really the right format Uh, And if if I was really creative, I might come up with something cool that could be done in that area. But that inspiration has not struck me as yet. So appearing on a a great podcast like yours occasionally and answering questions and doing the best I can, I think, is the happy middle ground for me. Well, you
2: just got to make sure you don't go on on the other podcasts.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I've got to stick to just one.
3: Yeah, we have an
2: exclusive deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have an exclusive deal. We have an
3: exclusive. I'm just kidding. Let's finish with with one last question. Um, If you could choose one song to play every time you walk into a room for the rest of your life, what song would you choose and why? Uh,
4: You know, I really enjoy walking. Since we're talking about walking into a room, so staying alive. By the Bee Gees, <laughs> you know, it's, it's got that really good beat. You know, you just you really feel like you're on top of the world when you're walking into a room to that beat. I don't, I don't know suit. if it gets any better. Yeah. <laughs>
1: nice.
3: <laughs> nice. That's great, Mareka. What have you got? One song every time you walk into a room. Oh, um,
2: Purple Haze. Not uh, bad, not nice. bad. By Mr. Jimi Hendrix. Not bad, Jeff. Oh, Gimme Shelter, every, no question. Every,
3: every single time you walk into a room.
2: Dude, I could wait I used to wake up to uh, I could wake up to Gimme Shelter. Gimme Shelter is the greatest song of all time. <laughs> no question. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Well, well, I what's think that's your answer? A show? What's your fucking answer? <laughs> um, he's sitting around, asking us questions and don't answer either. Come on, man. You know what
3: I did earlier? I was thinking, we need some light in this. So I just interviewed stupid interview questions. Um, and I've just been looking through these to see what I could ask. ask. <laughs> I have no input on any of those answers, let's face it. Um, what would mine be? Mine would be, <laughs> I am the resurrection by the stone roses. Is big, but I am the resurrection, and I am the light.
1: What, what kind of resurrection was that? Bombshell.
3: There you go. There you go.
2: <laughs> I can see I
1: I'm didn't help bombshell. with the
2: podcast at all. I didn't well, I mean, do... you know, you set a poor tone there, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Thomas. <laughs> I mean, <with> the, <laughs> talking, and you didn't even say if you if you know you, you didn't even answer the question about if Britney Spears were selling her farts, would you would you would you buy a jar? You didn't even answer the question. You brought it up.
4: Uh huh. Well, I thought about this really hard. Okay. Uh, but I'm just—I'm not a speculative uh, investor. It just I, I i put my money into very boring mutual funds, and I don't think that I'm confident enough in the price of Britney Spears farts going up. Um, <laughs> See, so, but, just I'm not a gambler.
2: No. Yeah, but you know, but that's the thing. It's—it's. It's, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an investment issue. It's. I think that it's. It's a sentimental value. Uh, well, the sentimental value for me
4: is extremely low, so it, it's not going to make the <laughs> okay. cutoff there.
2: Well, whose farts, sweetie, what, do you want Barry Gibbs farts, for Christ's sakes? <laughs> Barry Gibbs farts? <laughs> <laughs> you want Barry Gibbs farts? <laughs> <laughs> you, you want Barry Gibbs <laughs> you want old man farts instead? I mean, come on.
4: Yeah, th- there's not a specific person that makes a scenario any more appetizing that immediately
2: comes to mind. <laughs> you make a very good point. That's why you got the PhD. That's why you make a very That's good point. The doctor. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Well, so how Thank can we... Thank you very much, Lauren. <laughs> and, wait, we, and how Sorry, can go... we, you know, you, you have a website, your, your website, and you have a Patreon. Talk about mm-hmm. the website and the Patreon and the YouTube channel.
4: All right, yeah, I got I got too many things. So knife steel com. uh I got the YouTube channel knife steel nerds. Uh patreon.com/knife steel nerds. That money goes towards more experiments and stuff, just like we were discussing. Um you know, I had to buy six different buckets of oil and a bunch of quarter inch steel to do all of those experiments on hardenability and and oil. So that all costs money and that comes from the Patreon. Uh, yeah, make sure you go buy the book. We kept bringing up Knife Engineering, Steel Heat Treating, and Geometry. I might have said those in the wrong order. Um, by Dr. Laren S. Thomas. I should remember the subtitle of my own book, but that's how it goes sometimes. So, yeah, that's a really good book. And uh, go buy some Magna Cut. Uh, pester your knife steel supplier about Apex Ultra. Ask him if they're bringing it in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Go go watch my uh, Mr. Rogers video and the, the hot ones. Parody video. Those were really fun to make. Uh, that's what happens when you don't stop to ask yourself if something is a good idea before doing <laughs> it. <laughs> was, was the that was your a- wife
3: that you dragged into the Hot Ones video?
4: No, the Hot Ones video was all my wife's idea. That that was that was all her. She loves Hot Ones, and uh, we were gonna have her just be Jesse Evans, but when we decided to do a different character, then it it opened it up a lot more creatively to go in different directions instead of just a a straight parody um so that made it very fun yeah we had to get all the hot wings we had to set this whole whole setup and you know we were eating those wings and and it, it was a big production but it was really fun so i think my wife and i are closer now because of it (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, the bald cap
4: just really increased her sex appeal.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Believe it. It looked like she was sweating it off. Be honest with you, it looked like maybe towards the end it was just like she was dying from the from the wings.
4: Oh yeah, she she was really suffering from those a lot more than I was. Um, I, I thought we we were similar in terms of our heat tolerance, but it turned out that that I'm the champion in the family. So at least I can hold that over her.
2: Yeah, but you, you know what, I thought you were putting it on a little bit I thought, I thought you were being a little bit tough, but I saw this glisten over, over your face And I thought, <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm like, alright, he's acting tough and all But I mean, like, the skin tells the truth
4: <laughs> yeah, It was spicy, it is spicy food I, That's... I, I can't lie, my, my, my
2: mouth no longer could taste anything at the end by the way, the skin tells the truth is the next album uh, from Uplift. The wow! Next, the next <laughs> album, skin tells <laughs> the truth. <laughs> that's that's nice. your Europe. That's a great album title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> skin tells that, the
3: truth. And on that, we need to thank thank Laren for his time yet again. Um, again, we could we could have done this for six hours. We have got enough questions for for that, and who knows? Maybe we can get you on again in the future. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for giving us your time And um, good luck with everything For 2022
2: Thank you This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network For makers Right, tell us your best dick joke, go (laughs) (laughs) Tell us your best
3: Dick joke, come on in we need to, yes, yes. We need to be serious here. Yeah. Um, that was a good show. That was good. Lots of information yeah, again. Um, a lot of it, you know, sort of way over my head. But um,
4: Well, that's not yeah.
3: good. I mean, you know.
4: No. What, no, well, mean, no,
3: no, no. It's no, good. No, was it's a, good. I mean, we get, we get a lot of listeners who are really, really knowledgeable. You know, far more. That, that's why I started this, so I can learn more from people like yourself and from our listeners. So when they ask questions, it, it's good for everyone.
2: No, it's very good. Very good. All right, so... Now I have a question for you, Doctor Laren. When uh, at home, what's the what do you who's doing the cooking and what are you cooking at home?
4: Uh, my wife cooks more often than I do, but I also cook on a semi-regular basis. So we make a little bit of everything. Um, Jessica is half Italian, so we do a lot of Italian food. Um, my dad lived in Japan for two years, so we like a lot of Japanese food. We like to make uh, gyoza's and. Uh, Japanese curry, you know, simple things like that. So I I've been looking at uh, pellet smokers a bunch lately. I really want a pellet smoker right now. Patreon. Uh,
2: Get that old Patreon. By the way, can you there's, temper there's, there's your cryo ads there's cryo ads <laughs> and smoke, and smoke, <laughs> yeah. smoke treatment. But I need your pell- I need this uh, pellet stove in order to check out <laughs> the information. Yeah.
4: Yeah, that's that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, i I have to spend the Patreon money on that, don't you think?
2: Like it- all the yes, of course, of course, <laughs> as reckless as possible. Barry Gibbs yeah. has got farts for sale. <laughs> we get the bubble pellet stoves, hundred <laughs> percent. So, so what's the number one? What's the number one favorite meal at uh, at the Thomas household that you guys cook?
4: Hmm. I don't know. M- maybe just uh, fettuccine alfredo or something. I know my son loves that also oh, he
1: can be picky sometimes it's like grown up mac and cheese basically
4: yeah it's just you know <laughs> cheese and uh, cream and noodles oh. <laughs>
1: delicious noodles you guys we've said, had a really
3: good Italian open in our in our local town here um, which we went to this week it's uh, yeah very good so I'm very excited some Italian food I'm all over again now I think
2: um, yeah it's all you know Bonaise 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 That's the next The next (laughs) album The next album title Is going to be Bonaise 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 That's all you get (laughs) That's That's a great follow up album We're great albums for you All day long Craig Lockwood bottle Bolognese, Bolognese, Bolognese,
4: Nice, <laughs> Love it, absolutely love Laren, it I got I'm it. glad my, my wife is on board for a lot of this Because I think she was questioning things When I had her talking to an owl puppet That I was operating Oh
2: <laughs> An
4: owl puppet? Yeah, yeah. she spoke to an owl puppet about carbides For
1: Mr. Mister um, Rogers, right?
4: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, Laren, do you have any events That you're going to be going to? Will you be a blade show or any events like that? In the future,
4: uh, I hope to go to Blade Show again. I I keep telling my wife that I'm going because it it always falls around the time of our anniversary, and so it's uh-huh. uh it's a difficult one. But I went to sure. Blade last year and I did a class on heat treating, so I'm hoping to get That's invited great. back for that. And you know, I got to see I got to go talk to everybody about MagnaCut and stuff, and you right. know, so it's good for me to go there when I can. And Apex. Yeah, mm-hmm. Apex Ultra.
3: Yeah. Did you see Mareko Bob Kramer is doing doing a class? Um, he put up on his Instagram today. He's doing some classes. I did not. No.
2: Yeah, he's going to be at Travis yeah. Wurtz with uh, Ben Snure. Oh, Swartz, yes, yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah,
1: sorry, I did see that. When you say classes, I just thought you meant like out of his shop. Yeah, he's actually going to be with ah, no, uh, no,
3: at the at the, the Hammer yeah.
1: yeah, he's going to be with Laren's dad. Hopefully.
4: Mm-hmm. No, the master of, of doing their own classes is Murray Carter. That guy, he he charges a lot of money and he puts on a good ad for how amazing his classes are gonna be. I'm impressed by his business skills. He does. He's seen the cost on like his uh, his
2: Idaho this is a recorded... We're recording this after a show before you... Just to let you know before you do any slagging, just, you know, just be aware. Just, <laughs> he,
4: this is part he, of the he's, show. Uh, he's impressive. That's what I'm saying. He, he's got that, that place built in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, and he, you, you go out for... He, you, you know, I, I don't know I, I don't know how he does it. I I wouldn't be able to... Nobody's paying to come out to Pittsburgh and learn metallurgy with me.
2: Have you? Ah, you don't know which, yet. Have you tried? Which, have you been to Pomonte Brothers? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you have you eaten the sandwiches at Pumonty Brothers?
4: Yeah, I, I've only been a couple times because my wife was not a fan of soggy French fries and sandwiches. So,
2: <laughs> so Craig, this is Pomonti Brothers is a Pittsburgh. It's probably one of the most famous, like Pittsburgh places. And it's known mm-hmm. because they put French fries and coleslaw in the sandwich. So whatever your sandwich is, it gets French fries and coleslaw in it. Well, that's weird because
3: over here in France, we've noticed that um, a lot of these sort of um, – the food trucks and stuff, they do, you know, really bad tacos and burgers, really bad. But if you ask for – they also have an Americana. And if you have an Americana, they put French fries in in the, whether it's a taco or a burger. And I thought, well, that's weird. But they do it in America Throwing too, fries in it.
2: Well, that's a Pittsburgh special. hmm mm-hmm. Nice. I mean, it's not a bad move. Right,
3: so shall we call it a date? It's, <laughs> it's very late. Okay. It's very late. It's five well, five to eleven for me. Well, thanks um, for coming on. Right again, Dr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for putting up with our, with our dumb questions, and uh, yeah, just just taking the time to answer you know to answer our listeners' questions, and uh, yeah, it's really appreciated. So thank you so much.
4: Mm-hmm. And Murray Carter, I love you. I can't wait to sell you some Apex Ultra.
3: There you go. <laughs> I tell you what, before we go, let's just give you a minute just to sort of sell your steels again.
4: Oh, I don't need to sell them. They're, they're flying off the shelves.
1: <laughs> they cool. speak for themselves.
4: Mm-hmm. Magnacut is the, I'm, the, I'm, I'm, the best modern stainless knife steel that's ever been invented. I, I'm I'm proud to have invented it. I, it turned out better than I could have ever hoped for. It's awesome. I can't wait to make more steels.
3: I have a need. I'm desperately looking desperately looking for the playoff music then and i haven't got loaded up we had
2: freaked. a name, we had a name i had a name i wanted to push for a, a steal for a, a knife talk named steel we were i was thinking maybe you could consider a, a name like fucking a as a, a tool
4: mm-hmm. well I, I don't use the naughty words like you guys do because my my parents taught me right Oh. <laughs> Ooh, oh, oh, oh.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> parents. Uh, I right. think that is the I end dare of you. the show. <laughs>